Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. We help business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing so you can thrive from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion and make a difference for your community, market, and audience. Please take a moment and visit our website, www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. You'll find hundreds of episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to you as a business creator and links to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. And now, here's today's episode. Let's get started. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am once again honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. For this episode, the Business Creators Radio Show comes to you from our high-tech studio on my sumptuous Las Vegas balcony. We are what we'd like to call a from-the-field podcast. Where is it? Do you have those private mastermind conversations that transform your business and your life? Where are you when you make those discoveries? You have those aha moments that give you that slight edge as you optimize toward your center of your brilliance and your passion. Could it be at a coffee shop, a cigar shop? Could it be at the supermarket? Could it be at the networking function after the seminar? An outdoor cafe, the park, driving, sitting on your couch? These are where things tend to happen. And in congruence with my dedication to the laptop lifestyle, we go there together. So I urge you, wherever you are, to be sure to subscribe to us so that you can replay this episode. This particular conversation is something that is so near and dear to my heart. It's going to be about overcoming awkward, how introverts thrive in business. This hits me right where I live. I'm actually so introverted that they had to make a category or a new classification on the left-hand side of the scale to accommodate me. Discovering the whole science of introversion, extroversion, ambiversion, and how social energy is gained and expended through social interactions has changed my life. It gave me a sense of value and power that I didn't realize was there latently the entire time as I was subjected to the narratives to just come out of my shell and don't be so shy. It's not what it's about. So we are going to have somebody with us today who particularly, if this is of interest to you, the whole introvert, extrovert thing, it's going to be a real treat. Her name is Monica Parkin. She's an award-winning international speaker who has presented to audiences in excess of 2,000 participants, both in person and virtually. She's also the host of the Juggling Without Balls podcast. I love that title already. I'm going to have to get on it myself. Author of a book called Overcoming Awkward, The Introvert's Guide to Networking, Marketing, and Sales. A licensed mortgage broker and a speaking coach. So she has quite a story that she's going to share with you. But first, let's bring her in. Marnica Parkin, come on in. The weather's fine. Hi, Adam. Super nice to be here. Thank you. All right. So I read off your official bio. Not only is this something I can relate to, it's so impressive that I'm not sure if I'm worthy to be here. And this is my show. So before we get into some of our conversation about this topic, 
what I'd like to do is give you the opportunity to share in your own words a bit about your journey and what's brought you to where you are today, serving business creators from your intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Yeah, thank you, Adam. Uh, so I don't know, probably six, seven years ago, I had this brilliant idea that I was going to become a mortgage broker. Didn't get the memo or anything about it. Uh, I had had this experience with a mortgage broker over the previous 20 years. It was really amazing. But, you know, I never met with her in person. We never picked up the phone. We did everything by literally by email. We did everything virtually. And I thought, what an amazing job for me. Like, I'm this total introvert. I, I, I hated social interaction. I felt awkward and weird in those situations. I thought this is going to be a great job for me. I can just stay home, work from my home office, don't have to get out of my little bubble, don't have to get uncomfortable. Uh-huh. Signed up, you know, took the course, got myself certified, get hired on at a brokerage, you know, show up the first day, where's my files? I'm going to take them home and work on them. And they're just, they just looked at me and laughed. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, you got to go get your own business. You got to go bet, get business and bring it in. And so all of us, they're like, you know, you got to go out there, you got to network. And, and that was a really, really scary word for me. Just kind of put every, like, I almost stopped that day. I I had to put the brakes on and go, wow, wow. Did I ever get this wrong? Isn't that just something? And I got to ask you, when is it that you actually discovered this whole introvert extrovert thing? For me, it was right around the year 2013, 2014, I believe. But when was it for you? I'm that's a very good question. I'm going to probably say 2018, something like that. I mean, uh-huh. yeah. I mean, my family had made jokes about me for years, not made jokes at my expense, but you know, mom doesn't like best to have friends over. Cause then she'd have to get to know the other kids' parents or, you know, my husband would have to drag me kicking and screaming to social events. Cause I didn't want to go. So, but, but, the, but when I really discovered like how we communicate differently and, and the strengths, the fact that introverts actually have strengths, I just thought of it as a weakness, but the realization that there's actually some incredible skill sets that introverts bring to the workplace and to business is, is sort of a newer thing in the last few years. Yeah. It's small wonder that we would be told to think of that as a weakness. I run across this all the time, even to this day. One thing I urge people to do is to stop saying things like transform from an introvert to an extrovert because it doesn't work that way. A friend of mine argues that it is possible and it has to do with how the brain is wired or something along those lines. He gave me a book to read and I'm going to get to it eventually. I argue that because, again, of how the brain is wired, that introversion and extroversion don't have so much to do as with being shy or reserved or vivacious, outgoing, ebullient or what have you. It's really about how we gain and expend energy from social interactions. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. It's Uh a whole social battery, right? That sense of where we get our energy from, you know, going through the pandemic with, you know, two extroverts in my house and three introverts. The introverts are like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing ever. Like I could just do this forever. Um, Uh You know, and the extroverts in the house were just going insane. Like they needed that, that energy buzz that they get from, hanging out with people from, 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 you know, going out to social events, whereas I go to a social event, I can enjoy it. I can have a great time. I can do all the things I'm supposed to do, but when I get home, I need to recharge. Like I need to recharge that battery. Oh, it's been over two years since they labeled it a pandemic. And I was here for the 
15 days to stop the spread and then the 30 days to flatten the mm-hmm. curve or whatever. And I was all for it. And after that point, I, uh, I uh, adamantly opposed any further restrictions, shutdowns, moratoriums, or anything like that. I'll come out and say it. Yeah. However, that being said, to this day, over two years later, I continue to uh, use the pandemic as a stated reason to get out of stuff. Yeah, that's funny. Eh? And when I say best thing ever, I don't mean it's a good thing, but I just mean, you know, the introverts in my family, my daughters were just like, oh, wow, we totally have a reason to get out of these these events now that we don't want to go to. Right. Or you, don't, you, don't even have to re- you don't even have to really say you just say, well, you know, with things. Yeah, <laughs> that's enough. Right. With things, you know, the way yeah. they are. Oh, you're going to just randomly stop in today. Oh, you know, I don't know if that's a good idea right now. And there's carpooling. Mm. You know how it feels to get stuck because you carpooled? Yeah. You could have traveled yourself. And you know how that can happen even when you're the driver? Interesting. You're the driver and you get stuck. Yeah, we, we actually, yeah, I live in a very small community. We don't have carpooling here, but uh, uh-huh. it's, uh, it definitely would present some some issues for sure. Yeah. I have discovered that the thing to tell people is, you know, I'd, I'd love to ride with you to that networking function that I've been storing up energy for for the past three years to attend. And I only really plan to be there for 35 minutes because that's about all the battery is going to hold. Now, funny thing is, um, I actually have a client thing on the other side of town. And I'm probably actually going to be late to this thing. But I look forward to seeing you there when we both arrive separately. yeah i was uh talking to an author the other day that was writing an article and they were quoting me on it but they had just read about this phenomenon where they looked at the brains of introverts and the brains of extroverts and the way that they they get their um endorphin release and their serotonin it was interesting because the introverts can have a little tiny social interaction and they get this huge endorphin release like it'll carry them all day they're satisfied with that they feel good it'll last all day they feel happy whereas the extroverts only get a little tiny release so it's like they're constantly seeking it they constantly need more connection more connection in order to continue to get those endorphins which i thought was a really interesting way to look at it Right. So it's the endorphin supply combined with how the energy is gained and expended through social interactions. Exactly. Do yeah. you find do you find that there are certain people when you're around them that regardless of any of any misconception or any stereotype of an introvert, that you totally come alive like, oh my God. Yeah, hundred percent. And I would say with introverts, it's when you hit their passion point, right? What are they passionate about? What are they excited about? And then all of a sudden, all the lights come on, their face lights up and they're just ready to go, right? It's, you just see that, that change take over their face. And it's usually, yeah, when you hit that topic that they're really excited about. That can be a challenge for us sometimes, especially if somebody's trying to small talk me or just irritate me. Yeah, I've, it's gone, just- I've, I've, I've gotten to the point where I will just straight up pretend like I didn't hear somebody. Funny. Interesting. You should say that because we were talking about this on another show and, and this person was an extrovert and they're like, how do I make things more comfortable for my introverted employees? Like, he's like, one of the things I do is, you know, I warm up with a little small talk before we get going. And 
and he didn't oh. realize that that's not making it more comfortable. That's oh. making it more awkward, right? Like most introverts would like to just skip the small talk, get right to the question, like take us right to what you want to talk about uh, and skip all that, that stuff. Right. Right. So what is it that actually drove you and made you decide to write the overcoming awkward book? Yeah, funny thing. I was actually, you know, middle of the pandemic laying in bed on a Saturday afternoon scrolling through social media like we all do sometimes. And I saw this ad pop up for a 30 day writing challenge. And I thought, uh-huh. you know, I've got an extra half an hour at the beginning and the end of the day now. I'm not commuting to and from work because I'm working from home. I've always wanted to do this, but I just need that little extra push. And so when I signed up for it, the first assignment, so every day they send you an assignment. The first assignment they sent me was, what is an obstacle that you've overcome in life? Like, what is that obstacle? Whatever that obstacle is, that's what you need to write your book about. And for me, it was overcoming that, that introvertedness that was getting not over, not turning into an extrovert, but finding ways to use that introvertedness uh, as a superpower, sort of, as opposed to a weakness. I think it's so funny. You hear so much about uh, getting introverts to come out of their shell and become extroverts, but what about telling extroverts to shut the fuck up and be quiet like introverts? That's awesome. That's <laughs> funny. I've, I've seen that once before and it's so resonated for me. It was like, where's the articles telling introverts to just settle down a little bit, you know? Yeah. Right. And again, I think it goes back to how we get programmed, starting with this notion of participation points in class. Your actual grade in class is determined by how many times you raise your hand and how many times you contribute, even if you have nothing to contribute. How's yeah. that fair? How's yeah, that fair? How's that program? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And then we have this, you know, a little bit of a gender thing going on too, right? Sometimes boys get rewarded for being loud and girls get rewarded. Wow, you're sitting there nice and quietly, you know, Um, and that's definitely changing. But and in the workplace too, you know, sometimes the person that speaks up first is that all-star employee, as opposed to looking at the people that have these really amazing listening skills that are really listening and asking deep questions and going out and solving problems. You know, you've got the... uh, the Bill Gates, the Warren Buffett, those introverts that are really successful in business, not by being the loudest person in the room, but uh-huh. by solving the problems. Well, you could look at, for example, the 2012 presidential election here in the United States. That was the Obama-Romney contest. And you that was basically an introvert versus introvert contest. Yeah, I think it was in a lot of ways, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but they... But then they say, how can you possibly be introverted and be in public life? Well, actually, it's not so difficult. Yeah, for me, actually, you know, people say, I can't believe you're an introvert. You speak, you do all this stuff. But, you know, speaking to an audience about an idea that you're passionate about is very different than you know, trying to hold a conversation with someone that you've never met before, navigating your way through that small talk, those kind of weird, uncomfortable, awkward conversations are quite different than talking directly about uh, a message that you have. So in workplaces, whether it's companies you've worked for or various meetings that have you've been involved in as an entrepreneur yourself, are you familiar with that person in the meetings who will ask questions to which everybody already knows the answer just so they can be seen as contributing. Yeah. 
We've seen that <laughs> person all, before. We are all familiar with those people. Yeah, yeah, for sure. How, and, about, how, how about the one who takes 12 minutes to ask a question? You sound like you need to write a book. You've got all these characters pegged, you know. It sounds like a great cartoon strip, actually. But you're right. There's all yeah. those people, right? There's that person that's just asking the questions because they want to be heard. There's that person that's taken forever. And there's a person that's asking the question that's already been asked 20 times, right? But often yep. in the corner, there's that person that has something really big to contribute that isn't sticking up their hand. And if if employers, leaders, people like that can can stop and ask that person the questions, give them space to communicate, they'll find there's some really phenomenal ideas that come out of those conversations. There's one more character in the meetings. You know that one individual that you'll run into sometimes? where near the end, when somebody has the idea, let's go around and see if anybody has anything to add. There's that person who will jump to the front of the line and spend 13 minutes explaining how they have nothing to add. You ever run into them before? For sure. And you know, that's why I've come to love Zoom meetings, because when you get to that person, you know, you could turn off your camera, you could catch up and then pop back into the meeting. Uh, and I apologize. I have a cat crying at my door here. I hope that's not too loud for your audience. Oh, no, 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 no. You pause should, and put him away. I can. You should yeah. bring the kitty in. Bring the kitty in. Uh, I have two office supervisors, Princess Alessandra Francesca and Princess Stella Juliana. They're domestic short hair black cats. And there is no such thing as excluding them from anything. Yeah, well, usually I let them in, but I thought for some reason we were on video and they like to be the star of the show. So you might have had uh, cats instead of people. But yeah, they're just uh, crying their little heads off at the door. I will maybe mute myself and let you ask your next question and I'll, I'll pop right back. Uh, there's no particular need to go through all that, but go ahead and let the kitty in. And I'll just share if you can hear me. All right. Let me just Absolutely. share it. Now. OK, yeah. I'm going to I'm going to share something. I discovered that, and this comes up a lot when we discuss the dash version as an introversion, extroversion, what have you, that the way meetings in business, entrepreneurial, corporate settings are sometimes designed with the intention of them being inclusive actually make people feel uncomfortable and in some cases even left out. For example... Going around and making sure everybody has a chance to speak. Well, some people don't want to speak. I've developed a model for how to classify the attendees of your meetings, whether they're in person, whether they're virtual, whether they're hybrid, whether it's in a corporate setting, whether it's an entrepreneurial setting, whether it's your nonprofit board, whatever it is. And it involves dividing your attendees into four groups. The first are your leaders or facilitators. That's the person or persons who chair the meeting. That's group one. Group two are what I like to call the presenters. These folks typically represent projects. They represent departments. They represent initiatives. They'll have something to contribute. They'll have something to ask of the, of the group. They'll have something that they regularly will bring and will vocalize. So that's group two. The third group are what I call the seconds. Each participant will have a second, whether it's their colleague, their assistant, somebody else in their work group, somebody else in their, on their project or what have you. The second's job is not so much to speak out loud, but to be the eyes and ears of their paired presenter while the presenter is using their mouth. 
So they'll catch things that their presenter doesn't. Also, to back up their presenter, if their presenter needs some additional data or needs to say to somebody, well, is, does that sound like in line with what we agreed with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They also serve as an effective post-mortem briefing partner and pre-meeting prep partner with their paired participants because they have the objective outside looking in view of what it is that the presenter deals with. So now we have so far our, our facilitators, our presenters, and our seconds. Then we have the fourth group, which are the observers. These are the people who may want to attend the meeting because they want to be seen as being there for their own visibility purposes, but that doesn't mean they feel any need to contribute anything or have anything to contribute. They just want people to see them around. It's part of their ongoing personal and professional branding strategy. They're visible. That doesn't mean they need to speak. Furthermore, furthermore, with your observers, sometimes they're in the room simply because they want to get information from the source rather than second or third hand. They don't necessarily need to say anything. And in many cases, they don't want to say anything. So when you break your meeting participants into your facilitators, presenters, seconds, and observers, then not everybody has to speak. And it allows some folks who would rather be more comfortable not saying anything at all to not have to. So as a codicil to that, rather than go around the room and ask everybody, do you have anything to add? That point of the meeting, you just simply do it as an AMA and ask me anything or as a free-for-all. And I would also encourage that whether it's in person or you're using a virtual modality, you have them raise their hand if they want to say anything. Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, you you just you kind of descend into chaos a little bit. Not in chaos, but you know, you have everyone trying to talk over everybody. And um, yeah, that you do open up a can of worms too when you when you ask everyone what their thoughts are at the end. You you bring in all those other characters that you talked about in a way. That's where those characters come from. Yeah, yeah, great observation. And in some cases, they don't want to be characters in the screenplay. To me, that's part of the reason you sometimes get the person who has who will spend 13 minutes explaining how they have nothing to add. They feel pressure based on how they were socialized that if they don't speak, they're not contributing and they're not showing leadership. Yeah, there's that, like you say, that social pressure that if you don't open your mouth, if you don't have something to say that you're not valuable, therefore are you going to say whatever comes into your head or at least just make something up or recap the meeting for the sake of looking important and Mm -hmm. looking like you've got input? Yeah. In my last corporate job, I was responsible for a specific process within my department. And once a quarter, I was expected to attend this roundtable meeting that brought several different departments together where I would have already pre-submitted a report that basically just consisted of three numbers. That's it. It just consisted of three numbers. And I had to sit in this meeting for almost two hours before they finally got around to me so that I could be available if anybody had any questions. And my, and my obtuse moron of a boss's boss said, I heard you were dozing off in that meeting and people said you acted disinterested and bored and, and, and duh, 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 duh. I, I hate her. Anyway, um, I said, yeah, because I don't need to be there. It's stupid. 
Yeah. One what, of the I mean, what, what do I need to sit there for two hours for so that I can be there to answer questions about three numbers? And the numbers were things like in quarter one, we had X number of cases. And in quarter two, we had Y number of cases. Uh, the actual reasons why that is are protected by HIPAA from me. So I don't know how to explain it. What's that? What else? Yeah. Yeah. One of the research that's come out recently is, is like, is there really a need for that many meetings? Like going back to employees and saying like, does this require a meeting? And when they asked employees, one of the things that they'd most like to change about their workplace, like what some of the questions were, would you rather work at home or work from the office? And uh-huh. one of the questions that said, what would add to your job satisfaction? Every single employee almost consistently answered less meetings, less meetings or more streamlined meetings like they felt they were wasting a lot of their time talking around in circles, um, time that could be better spent elsewhere. Okay, earlier I led with my example of how we break the meeting participants into four categories. Now I'd like to ask you, what would you do, Monica, to streamline a meeting to get rid of some of the fluff, some of the chaff? and some of the endless blather so that it feels like a more valuable experience for the attendees. How would you yeah, do Yeah, interesting, interesting question. I haven't put a lot of ta- thought into that lately, but uh, you know, one of the things that I found effective in, like I do a lot of nonprofit community type meetings, one of the things that's helpful is having time limits, right? Like you don't get the floor for 15 minutes, you get the floor for maybe three minutes or four minutes and, and you need to be able to get your idea and compress it down and, uh, and be consistent with it. Uh, the other thing I've seen is, you know, Maybe we only see here three pros and three cons, right? Maybe we don't open up the floor to all 20 people. And and then having someone to bring people back on track, right? So if it's like, do you have a question? And then they don't actually have a question. They just have some comments. You know what? Actually, we're not doing comments right now. What's your question, right? And having that, if you've got a really skilled facilitator, they'll just keep bringing them back to the point, back to the point and do it in a way that's not really offensive, uh, but just reminds them like, let's let's stick with the topic. Let's stick with the topic uh, and coming back to that space, right? And, and then asking yeah. people to show up prepared, right? What, what, is there anything you'd leave out? Anything that you see way too often in meetings right now that if you could, you'd just get rid of it? Yeah, not only meetings, but presentations. Like when I go to a presentation or a meeting and, and we spend 50 minutes talking about what the agenda is going to be, you know, first we're going to talk about this and we're like, like, just talk about it. Like we've all got the agenda in front of us. We've all seen it. We don't need to spend 15 minutes talking about what we're going to talk about. Like, I feel like that's something that could just go, go away. Same with when someone stands up to do a talk and they spend 15 minutes telling me what they're going to talk about. Like, just get into it. Like, start with your first point and go. Don't give me the recap beforehand. It's almost like you set up, it's almost like I set up the pins and you rolled the strike. Yeah, yeah. But you're also kind of setting your audience up to be bored because you're not giving them anything new because you already told them what they were going to talk about. So then when you get to that point, you've already talked about it. Like there's nothing, nothing to keep them in the room, nothing to keep like mentally keep them in the room, right? Uh From thinking about what they're doing tomorrow or tonight. You ask somebody to attend a meeting and you say the meeting's going to be 30 minutes long. They accept your invitation or they attend because it's compulsory. Either way, they've given you 30 minutes. The moment that meeting goes into minute 31, all they're going to hear is the teacher from Peanuts, raw, 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 and they will gleefully shoot the messenger. 
Yeah. And you haven't kept your word, right? You've broken your trust. Uh You said your time's valuable. I'm only going to take up 30 minutes of it. And then you take up an hour. Well, the next time it's a really important meeting and you ask them to come and you say, it's only going to be 15. They're going to be, well, yeah, right. That's what you said last time. Uh Uh-huh. I've developed a model that I've applied several times and I want to get your thoughts on this. Interesting. Introvert to introvert. All right, let's hear it. It has to do particularly with work group meetings, committee meetings, board meetings, et cetera. This is a great way to make the meeting time more valuable. I discovered this when I became president of a professional organization almost 20 years ago. And having already been on that board for three terms in various roles, I knew that these meetings theoretically lasted 90 minutes once a month. But for the meeting to only last two and a half hours was almost like manna from heaven. And they were just talk fest, blah, 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 blah. And these are professionals who worked at jobs and were doing this on a Wednesday evening, who in many cases hadn't had their dinner yet, hadn't been home to see their kids, or they were graduate students, hadn't had time to do their homework. And you wanted to take up two and a half hours for a 90-minute meeting? Well, I had some thoughts on that. And here's an experiment I ran, and I've applied this many other places, other work groups I've led, other organizations I belong to. Some of my clients have applied to some of their applications, and we've seen great success with it across the board. When you have that type of group meeting, what you do is you set a requirement for, and I'm going to merge this with my other model, your participants, where within 48 hours before, or you know, no earlier than 48, or, or no later than 48 hours before the start of the meeting, you need to submit three things to everybody else who has a presentation type role and uh, and a facilitation type role. These are what you're working on, what you have for the report, whatever your updates are, questions you have, or areas where you need the assistance of the team is the second. And the third are ideas and innovations to move things forward. They don't have to be term papers. In fact, they work best when they're bullet point lists. So I requested that everybody on this new board do that. There were six other people on the board. Four of them did their submissions, two of them didn't. So I went around the table and, uh, and, I, uh, and I started with the first person who had submitted their three sets of bullet points like I'd asked, and they immediately started to narrate a report. And I said, no, 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 you've already given your report and we've already read it. So let's get to the part where you are asking our thoughts on this. So what do people have to say about that? So already there was this this attempt to lapse into the behavior this was intended to stop. So I caught it right there. We go through person one, two, three, and four. We go through the, the questions and requests for assistance, the innovations, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, we're about 75 minutes in this 90-minute meeting. We've gone through the four people who submitted their reports, and I slammed my hand on the table, and I said, fantastic meeting, guys. See you next month. Awesome. Well, a couple folks never got called on. They were thinking, well, what? what why didn't you call on me? I said, well, if I recall, you actually said that you did not want to pre-submit your summary of what you're working on, any questions for us, or any innovations. So 
I just naturally assumed that you don't really have anything going on and you don't need us. So we're not going to take time for you. Yeah. And how did that? Well, yeah, you're right. You're right. And uh, well, I made clear that I was not going to back down from that. And, uh, and uh, not only was I not going to apologize for it, I pretty much made clear that if, that the folks who did not submit anything really should think about how that was disrespectful toward the other members of the board who did submit something. Well, you know what happened, what happened after that? Once I made clear in a nice professional way that that's how it was going to be, they raced each other to see who could submit their report first because they got this idea that uh, they were gonna, that we were going to go around the table and the order the reports were received, even though that wasn't necessarily the case. And I even got a couple of them to submit drafts of their bullet point summaries because they wanted to make sure they were doing it right. After that, after that just became part of the culture. And I got, and I got to tell you that I don't think any of those meetings ever ran over except for one. And it only ran over for like five minutes. And I even requested an extra five minutes because we were right in the middle of one of the innovation suggestions, I wanted to finish the conversation before we adjourned. Yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. You know, and and you, you get that where you get that fight the first time, like this is no good, blah blah blah. And then every time you do it, it gets easier and easier and smoother and smoother. Till, like you say, that's just become part of your culture. Uh, we've got a meeting like that too, where the time is the time. And if you want to go over, we all sit there and vote. Are we going to go over five more minutes? Like, is it worth everyone's time? to go over five more minutes. If it is, then let's do it. And if not, then, then that's it. We're done. We come back next week. Oh, I love uh, that. Yeah. I love that. Now what I hear from what I hear in having people vote is it becomes a question of relevance. So now let's take that back another level. The individual or individuals who want to go over is what they're taking up time for really compelling value adding and worth it. The, yeah, vote it, deter- the vote determines that. If this is just somebody, if this is somebody who's now in their 12th minute of explaining how they have nothing to add, I'm voting no. Let's get the hell out of here. Yeah, it really makes you refine your priorities. It makes a group refine their priorities and figure out what they, you know, what's really valuable to them and, and, and puts their time and it makes it important. Right. So we've covered a few things that I think address the issue of feelings of social awkwardness. So I want to get more of your thoughts, if any, on where that comes from and how do we overcome that or deal with that? Yeah, one of the things I figured out, at least for myself, and maybe it's not true of everybody, but, you know, sometimes when we're trying to be someone we're not, right, we're kind of essentially like when I used to go to those first networking events in the early days and I felt so uncomfortable, I just wanted to run out of the room and go home. Part of that came from the fact that I was pretending to be someone I wasn't, right? I'm like, oh, I'm this great mortgage broker, blah, blah, blah. I'm trying to sell something. I'm out of my comfort zone as opposed to, because when we're telling a lie, right? We're like, remember lying to your parents or whatever. You got all these windows open. You got all these details you got to remember. And that kind of increases your awkwardness. You're like a computer with all these things open Uh as opposed to when we show up authentically and we're just who we are. Like here I am, my quirky weirdo self you actually come across less awkward because you're not trying to keep all these details straight. You're not trying to maintain a lie. You're just being you. 
I was invited once to a pre-seminar networking party and one of the one of the really nice places here in Las Vegas, some upscale place. I was supposed to meet a couple of people there I already knew because you know being introverted, it helps when you have a baseline of people you already know just to get you started while you're getting a feel for the room and seeing where the energies and seeing where the other people are so that you can acclimate and become more in flow with what's going on. It's, it's a great tactic for introverts. Well, um, I was supposed to meet two people. One of them didn't show up and the other told me after I got in there that, uh, oh, uh, well, I'm busy. I can't make it. So there I am all by myself and it's dark and it's quiet and there's loud music and, and uh, you're, you're already starting to get the horror story. So I make some, making my way because I'm about to exit this thing about 10 minutes into it. And as I'm walking by the bar, somebody who's sitting at one of the, ta- it's the stools by the bar turns, taps me on his shoulder and says, hey, what do you do? You want to know how I replied to it? Yeah. I said, ask yourself, does it really matter to you what the fuck I do? I said it just like that. Hmm. And he gave that little nodding thought and said, you know, actually it doesn't. That's, I never thought of it that way before. Well, I ended up making some new friends simply because in that particular case, I broke the paradigm of the most frightening question at networking functions. So what do you do? Yeah. Because once I had his attention, I went on to explain, really, it doesn't matter what I do until I know your intersection of your brilliance and passion your goals, your objectives, where you are now as where you are now in relation to reaching those goals and objectives, what may be stopping you, slowing you down and holding you up and where somebody could support you in that. Once I know those things, then I can have a sense of whether I can support you if I want to support you. And if so, then what I do becomes relevant to you. Yeah. When you show up with that intent of how can I help you? What, you know, where can I connect? Who can I connect you to? How can I help you grow? Then what you do becomes less relevant in the beginning, right? It's about finding out about other people and what their passion is. And, and that's where those connections are built, right? So putting aside what you do and focusing on the other person, uh, what their goals are, where they're going, how you can help them. For me, I often think about who can I connect them to in this room, even, you know, not what can I sell you or what can I do for you, but you know, who's someone else that I could introduce you to that would be valuable uh-huh. to you. Right. It's from that experience. I began a contest with myself. When I go to these functions, somebody comes up to me and with that, so what do you do? I make it a contest to see how long I can get them to talk about themselves before I have to answer that question. Interesting. Interesting strategy. And I found that it can actually be a great engagement factor because they're used to exchange. Oh, so Monica, what do you do? Oh, I wrote a book. Adam, what do you do? I wrote a book too. Oh, blah, 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 blah. You want to exchange business cards? Sure. Okay. And then, I look at the, then I put my clothes away after I get back and I see I have Monica's business card. Who's Monica? Yeah. Wow. That was, that was worth it for me to go. (laughs) 
gap. And you know, that's funny you talk about that because the very first networking event that I went to, that's what I did. I went around the room, I gathered up all these business cards. I shook people's hands, told them what I do, get home at the end of the night. And I'm, you know, I'm looking at this handful of cards and I'm like, like, I don't know these people. I didn't connect to them. Like I end up throwing those cards in the garbage. And as I'm throwing them in the garbage, I'm thinking, oh crap. Like if I'm throwing their cards out, they're throwing my cards out too. You know, Uh that realization that that is not the way to build a connection that walking around, here's my card. This is what I do onto the next person like that. Nobody remembers you, you know, maybe that's why you need the card because they got to look at it to know who you were, but you don't, yeah, you don't build a connection that way. Yeah. I don't, um, I don't have a, a business card. I have a personal card, but the only purpose for that is if I make a, a, if I randomly meet a woman as I'm walking out the door somewhere, I'll hand her my card. <laughs> it's funny, but it's yeah, not, it's, it's not for business. It's for, it's for personal connections. And actually what that card has on it are social networks. Yeah. Cause really, truly, if you made a real connection with someone, if they really resonated with what you yeah. said, they'll, A, they'll remember you and B, yeah. they'll go find you. Like you're out there. Yeah. They're going to find you. Yeah, it's that, not hard yeah. to Google someone's name. Yeah. That card is specifically for when I don't have time. Or I don't really know what to say. So I try and say something briefly memorable and then put it in their court where to me, I have absolutely no personal investment whatsoever. Now, pause. Notice I just said that in the moment that I'm handing over the card, I have no personal investment whatsoever. Yeah. Do you wonder how many people have given you business cards who had no investment in you whatsoever? Yeah. And, do you think it's po- do you think it's possible some of them were giving you their card as a way of ending the conversation? A hundred percent. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. In fact, I think that probably happens more often than not. I went to a networking function last week. There were eighteen people in the room, and I well, actually, there are eighteen people in the room. Uh, I'm already friends with the person who's running the event, and I'm friends with his assistant. So I already knew those two. So that left, you know, me, her, you know, me, him, and her, at least 15 people left. I am now friends on social media with two of those other 15 people. The other 13, no. Think about your ratios. Think about the ratios of what I actually would have accomplished if I had gotten business cards from all 15 of them. How many do you think I would have connected with beyond that day? Yeah. And, and that's the about, thing. Is it, about two. The way yeah. I see it is if it's going to happen, it's going to happen there. Yeah. And, and you can't just throw cards at a wall and hope that one of them will stick. And yeah, sometimes right. some of them will stick. But, you know, in terms of if you're if you made two good connections with people, like really deep connections where they're going to remember you, you're going to remember them. Maybe you're going to help each other out in the future. I feel like that's more valuable than one, one minute conversation with 15 people. Right. Yeah. One, yeah. One of them sought me out. Yeah. Yeah. Because what you said had value for them. Right. And you, you, know, you know what the best part is? The person who sought me out is somebody I didn't speak with. But they, but, they, but they sought me out. They sent me a friend request. I accepted it. Yeah. And then they clearly actually read my pinned post on my Facebook where I explain in so many different ways, don't spam my DMs with stupid crap. And they wrote what I thought was a beautiful message. It turned out that they thought that a joke that I told was so funny they couldn't stop thinking about it. And they also remembered something I uh, mentioned about my childhood that they overheard and thought it really resonated with them. 
and said that they would like to speak with me about the possibility of maybe getting involved with one of their nonprofit initiatives. This is somebody, this is somebody where at most I shook their hand and nodded. I did not have a conversation with them in the room. Yeah. And yet you left an impression on them. Uh-huh. Yeah. Don't have their business card, but I know where to reach them and vice versa. Yeah. And they knew, and they, and they, they, they knew where to find me. Yeah. Yeah. See, yeah. again, great minds thinking alike. Yeah. Yeah. So aside from some of the things we've already covered, we've discussed our mutual strategies for meeting management, uh, getting into situations where the room's full of strangers and what have you. What are some tips that you've developed over the years to help introverts feel more comfortable in social situations and in the workplace? Yeah, well, certainly for for one of the advice I've you know give a lot of younger introverts that are just starting into the workplace or or networking or whatever, and they're freaked right out. They're like, I got to go to this event. I'm going to freeze right uh-huh. out. I don't know what to say. Is like plan ahead a little bit, like have some things that you're going to say or some questions to ask or know a little bit about the people, you know, that you're going to talk to. So you're not just walking up to random people and saying, what do you do? Um, Have some better questions than that. Like have some, some conversation openers about things that they're passionate about or that they're interested about. So you can really dive into real conversations. And so you're not frozen with fear because you don't know what to say and you're trying to make small talk. I would also suggest write a book. Yeah, that's a good let me, one too. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let, me, let me explain. There's this organization I belong to. When I first joined, I wasn't yet a published author. So uh, I, had to, I had to have them print something on my name badge. So I thought, okay, I'll just write consultants. So that led to folks approaching me, just walking up to me and then glancing down at my name tag and saying, oh, so uh, Alan or Alex, oh, I'm sorry, Adam, uh, what kind of consulting do you do? And what do you think, what do you think my response was? Good question. I don't know. Does it really fucking matter? Ah. <laughs> <laughs> now, I actually say that in a way where it's funny. It's, yeah, it's, hard, for, yeah, it's, it's hard for me to demonstrate that because yeah. we're not doing a role play. Exactly. But I don't say that in a me- way where it's mean or it's challenging. But I say that as a pattern interrupt because that's not what you're expecting anybody to say. And you're not expecting them to get, well, shall we say saucy with it? Yeah. The idea is to get them thinking about, well, does this really matter? Yeah. Yeah. For but sure. in the end, but I still got tired of it. So once my book Groundhog Day is an event, not a business strategy came out, I, I paid the $33 to have my name badge reprinted to say speaker slash author. So yeah. now I get the people that come up and say, oh, you're an author. Uh, what's your book? Yeah, well, I'll tell yeah. you all. I'll tell you all day about my baby. Yeah, yeah, and you've got a conversation started right there, pinned to your yeah. chest, right? Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, phenomenal. That's fantastic. Another is to host a podcast. I'll give yeah. you an example of this. One of my own clients in both my Business Creators Institute and the Podcast Reach System. They've been a client of both. Uh, she was. She's been a client of mine for six years. And at one point, she was visiting Las Vegas because she was attending, like, the premier industry event for the market she's in. And she said a bit more colloquially, but I'll, I'll share the sanitized version of it, is that what amazed her, and she had not, not anticipated this, were how many people were going to approach her 
and say, oh, oh, you're the, you're the name of company podcast lady, or, oh, you're, you're the one that sends that newsletter every week. So rather than being yet another consultant with another business card and another, what do you do? How do you do? Let's just straighten business cards. By hosting a podcast and sending a periodical, she became an industry celebrity. People recognized her and wanted to meet her. Yeah, for sure. Between the the book writing and the podcasting, I find that for sure too. When I go to an event now, someone's either listened to the podcast, they've read the book. And here's the other thing is, uh, and I know this sounds quirky and crazy, but like I've got a bunch of little goats on my farm and uh, I often have put my goats on my social media things and, and they just, they just end up coming up. They're part of my, you know, part of uh-huh. my branding who I am and I'll meet someone. They'll say, Oh, you're the goat lady. You know, <laughs> like it's a funny, weird little connection, but it's actually, it's this really cool little conversation starter. Goats for me, it's cats. Yeah. Yeah. I got two of those too, but, uh-huh. uh, but whatever it is, whatever that thing is, it makes you different than everyone else. Right. That's not cookie cutter. That makes you stand out. That's memorable. That's authentic. Like that's the thing you want to, you want to bring. I find that doing something that's a little outside the pale or caring about something that people actually do care about that that they just themselves don't speak about can be a way of accomplishing it. For example, and this is actually by way of translating one issue to another, I've discovered that as far as my culinary explorations, I, I don't care much what food I have as long as it didn't come from something used to live and breathe and have a mother. But aside from that, like, I can't tell you right now what I had for breakfast or even if I had breakfast, I'd have to think about it and try and play it in my day because my mind actually systematically purges that information because I don't deem it important. However, when I go to a few select restaurants where I'm well-known, I know most of the people that work there. I'm a visible regular. And I order the same thing every time I go there. The moment they see me walk in the door, they already know what, what's coming. And what I do is I just order something that's standard from their menu. And I have one thing removed from it. So they know me as the guy that you don't give the dipping sauce to. or I'm the guy who you don't give the you don't give the the garlic bread to or something like that. You just make a simple order and remove one and and change the order in such a way where it's just simply a matter of them not having to give something or add on to it and it becomes memorable. So now let's translate that to how we present ourselves with you as goats. So from now on, I may think of you when I think of goats. Yeah, funny story about that. I was sitting down for dinner with like, uh, actually, you know what? I'm not going to tell you this story because you're a vegetarian. So uh, we'll start no, no. that story. No, 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 you're, no, you're loud. You're yeah. loud. So anyway, so we're sitting down for, for lunch and she goes to order the lamb and she accidentally <laughs> asked for goat. And I'm like, what the heck was that all about? She's like, well, you're here at the table. And it just made me think of goats. Like I had goats on my brain. Uh, it was just funny the way that, you know, that little Freudian yeah. slip happened, uh-huh. but you know, one other <laughs> thing funny. I, 
Yeah. Figured out, is it like people notice people who notice them, right? So if you make a point of noticing someone else, you're sharing their event that they're doing, you leave a review for them, whatever, they want to get to know you more. Like we all have this ego in us, right? When someone notices me and they send me a note that says, I read your book, I love it, whatever. The first thing I'm doing is Googling their name. I want to know more about them, right? When we notice Uh people, it causes them to notice us. Yeah. For me, it's the Oxford comma. The Oxford comma. You're going to have to explain that one for me. I will fight wars in defense of the Oxford comma. I post about the Oxford comma and how omitting an Oxford comma out of a contract ended up costing a company millions of dollars in overtime. It's simply the comma you add before the word and or or in a sequence. Okay, got it. I was like, what is the Oxford comma? Now I got to go look this up. And that's now uh-huh. something that every time I hear it, I'm going to remember you. <laughs> yeah. So let me, here's an example I use all the time. Uh, I'm going to read off two phrases to you. Here's the first phrase. And I'm going to say the word comma where I put the comma. I appreciate my girlfriends, comma, Jessica and Mia. Okay. What, what does it sound like I said? I appreciate my girlfriends. Just come in. Like you have two girlfriends. Bingo. Now let's try Let's try this. I appreciate my girlfriends, comma, Jessica, comma, and Mia. Friends, Jessica, and Mia. Uh, I suddenly have a lot more than two women. I gotcha. Yeah. And, and Jessica and Mia might not be my girlfriends. Right. For all you know, they're my sisters or my, or the, uh, or the lecterns in church. You don't know. Yeah. 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 But see how one tiny little piece of punctuation. Changes everything. Change the meaning of a sentence. Yeah. I will fight for that. So I'm known for waging wars in defense of the Oxford comma. That can be a conversation starter for somebody. 100%. Yeah. And there's many times you go meet someone and they're like, oh, hey, I heard you talking about this, or you're that guy, or you're that girl that blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And yeah, that all comes from, and part of that is, right, not hiding your authentic self, being your quirky self, not pushing that down and going, oh, I don't want to talk about the Oxford comma. People might think that's weird. Just being you, fighting that battle, Mm -hmm. you know, actually makes you memorable. There is a, there is a, uh, a TV series that Kelsey Grammer starred in for two years. It was called Boss. It was about a fictional mayor of Chicago. And there was a scene in that, in that, in that series, I remember, where he went where his character, who, you know, the mayor, went off on one of his aides because in a draft of a speech they wrote, they included the Oxford comma. So he went on a tirade about how he hated the Oxford comma. And they had to rewrite this, and they had to rewrite the speech so there would be no Oxford commas in it. So um, I mentioned that when I met Kelsey Grammer in person and got and asked his thoughts on the Oxford comma. (laughs) That's awesome. I can't believe I'm 49 years old and I've never heard of the Oxford comma. Like, and I've got kids that are just total uh, punctuation. uh, Yeah. You know, that's funny. My meeting, my meeting with him was a one-time connection. I probably will never see or hear from him again, but it's possible that he may remember somewhere along the line, he was doing a promotion for his brand of ale in Las Vegas. And there's this guy that came up to him and asked him, do you believe in the Oxford comma? <laughs> he might even tell this, 
story at parties somewhere along the line. It's a memorable conversation, right? It's yeah. not something that happens to you every day. Yeah. Uh, what would you say, and, and for our listeners, by the way, this is the mastermind principle in action. You're actually seeing an exchange of ideas. So uh, I'm just pulling back the curtain a little bit about how our show works. So Monica, let me try something else. What would you say is our biggest health crisis? Okay, well, you're talking to a Canadian here. So my health crisis is going to be different than yours. Doesn't matter. Um, what, what's your answer to the question? What is our biggest health crisis? Biggest health crisis. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to say, oh, I don't even know. I want to say maybe mental health, like mental health issues. Yeah, that could be a big deal. Uh of course, the answer is supposed to say, well, does COVID and oh. people on so- <laughs> social distancing and get their destination? No. To me, our biggest health crisis is trypanophobia. Okay, tell me what that is. Fear of needles. Oh, yeah. And I am I am one of those people, actually. Oh, me too. Me yeah, too. And, me yeah. too. Extremely so. Uh, I can't remember what the actual count as far as number of people in the United States is since they published the 2020 census findings. So I still have embedded in my mind the number 330 million. So let's say there's 330 million people in the United States. I could be off by 10 million. I don't know. There's an estimated 50 million people in the United States who suffer some form of trypanophobia, whether from mild to severe. For somebody on the more severe end of the spectrum, they will actually think about whether it's worth it to risk their life rather than get a shot. Yeah. yeah. So wow. they will so they will look for a statistic that says, well, if you don't get this shot or you don't get this blood test, there's a 0.004% chance you may drop dead. And they'll say, oh, that's way less than 1%. I'm good. Yeah. Yeah. Because they'd rather die. Then get a shot, get a vaccination, get blood drawn, get a test. They would rather die. That's how traumatic it is. Yeah, yeah. I, so, I, you, I so you, so you, so so you want to go to fifty million people and tell them that they're part of the problem because they won't grow up since they refuse to, uh, like autonomons, submit to something that's being called the jab. Yeah, there's def- there's there's a real fear about that, and there's that. that, it's, that yeah. Does that sound like a health crisis to you? <laughs> what if we what if we stop calling it the jab? What if we uh, what if we use video game analogies and refer to it as leveling up or powering up? Yeah. You know how? I mean, I'll just use the simplest example known to man: Pac Man. You have those four little blinking dots in the four corners, and when you chew on one of those, what happens? You suddenly go faster, and you can eat the ghosts. Yeah. So yeah. imagine if we're using that analogy instead. It powers you up. It, uh, it gives you a layer of invincibility. It makes you a hero. Yeah, it initiates a mindset shift. Is wow. So, doing, wow. Right? For a moment there, you forgot there was a needle involved. Huh. Yeah. yeah. You think that might help people at least start from a mind frame of, well, you know, I might want to get vaccinated, but I know I'm going to. I know I'm actually in danger of passing out while I'm on the way there because I'll have a panic attack over it. But what if they had the door open to them to seek support 
in the form of developing calming and meditating exercises, of being educated about their rights as patients to, so that they can assert themselves in that situation to make sure that they're as comfortable as possible. What if they were aware that if they're not mentally ready, even though they already have their sleeve rolled up and their arms sticking out, that they have the right to say, wait a minute, because they need to gather themselves before the needle goes in. Yeah. Interesting conversation. I remember my daughter came home from a, a, a mm-hmm. shot appointment last year and she'd already done her research before she left, but she's, she's, she's terrified. She hates needles, right? She uh-huh. often passes out, needs to lay down. Yep. And before the needle, That's the nurse me. started going into the whole spiel about the side effects and everything. And I was so proud of her because she stood up she, like she said to her, she said, listen, I know you're supposed to give me all the risks and everything, but I've already read them. I already know what they are. And you talking to me about them right before you give it to me is making me want to walk out of here. Can you just give me the needle first? And then, then let's go back and talk about the risks if you have to do it, but uh-huh. this isn't helping me. Like I need you to just get it over with. And then we can sit and have this conversation, but I'm aware of the risks. I've done the research. I'm here. I want to get it, get it done. Like, please don't draw this out half an hour. And the nurse right. is like, yeah, totally. We could do that. And by the way, we have a bed over there and we have a private room. Would you rather uh-huh. do that there? But she had to ask for that. Right. Yep. So pause. Yeah. As much as this trypanophobia conversation is exciting and fun. <laughs> how many people have told you that trypanophobia is our greatest health crisis? You'd be the first one, Adam. The fact that I have walked with this for as long as I can remember, and it's been a detriment to me and something I've struggled with, is something that brings it to the center of my brilliance and passion. I want to do something to help others not have to experience that same struggle, that same pain. Yeah, and I have- That's something I care about. Yeah. And being an introverted person, I can have that conversation all day long with somebody who- agrees with me, understands me, or even somebody who's curious about it. Can that, and you see how that can open up conversations and open up doors and create memorable interactions in a way that doesn't sap out my conversational and relational energy. Yeah, you're approaching a problem with compassion, with empathy, with creativity, you know, it really, like you say, all the stars align with, you know, you can relate to it. And Uh you can also take time to really think deeply about it and want to share that with people. And uh, saw how not only it brought me alive, but it got you to the point where you were more conversational about that topic than anything else. Because you are a devoted an adoring mother to your child and your pride in your daughter discovering how to assert her rights as a patient brought out that, Oh my God aspect of you. Yeah. And whenever we bring that out in other people, right. We bring out that thing that they resonate with. That's when we start having those really great conversations. Yeah. I'd love to keep this going forever. Uh, However, we are at the top of the hour. So uh, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit something here just as we wrap up. First of all, I do want to share your website uh, for our listeners who are out running and jogging. It's www.monicaparkin.ca. In other words, the Canadian domain. You will see a link to that within the show notes for this episode on www.businesscreatorsradioshow. And among the things you can find on that website are 
a book that I'm certainly going to pick up because I'm so curious about this called Overcoming Awkward, The Introvert's Guide to Networking, Marketing, and Sales. It's available on retailers like Amazon and Audible and perhaps even other places that I'm not seeing. And I encourage everybody to go to Monica's website and check that out. As we wrap up here, is there any final thought you'd like to leave with our listeners? No, just thanks for a, a really great conversation, Adam. And just for all those, you know, introverts out there that are, you know, feeling a little anxious about, uh, you know, building their business or making connections and relationships is, you know, just remember that that whole authenticity piece. And, and one of the strengths that introverts have is just being phenomenal listeners. So start with that and, and build on it. Well, golly gee, I'm so glad you didn't take 13 minutes to explain how you had nothing to add. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Monica Parkin, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been an honor and believe me in education. Thank you, Adam. It's been a pleasure. We trust you enjoyed today's episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. Check out our previous and upcoming episodes on our website at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. While you're there, be sure to subscribe via your favorite network so you get fresh episodes delivered straight to you. Until next time, have a great day. Take care.